Okay. So, today we're talking about crying week. And this is chapter four in our series, What Happened in India. So if you've been following along in the series, you'll be up to date on how this story has unfolded, where we're at with our narrative. And if not, you can go back and listen to the other episodes. But to just give a quick recap, this is the story of my journey to India. And at this stage, I have been staying at the Osho International Meditation Resort in Pune for a few months, and I'm about halfway through the Osho Mystic Rose process, which is a three-week process, and the first week was laughing week, (laughs) a week of laughter, and I described some of my experiences in the previous chapter, in the previous episode. So, today, as we come to this point in our story, I'd like to share a few stories, a few little things that happened during crying week. And it was right about this time, right around this time, when I was staying at the resort, that people would start saying things to me, sort of in an unsolicited way, which were quite, in so many ways, just flabbergasting, right? People would come up to me and say things like, like, wow, look at your eyes. They're so big. They're so shiny. These sorts of things. One guy said, oh, you're looking good. You've lost some weight. (laughs) And I was sort of thinking, well, (laughs) that's probably not a good thing, right? I was so sick before and I've lost some weight and I'd actually been trying to put on weight and putting on weight is really hard when you're in a country and you haven't got your food quite right and I was really struggling with my food still. So (laughs) I I think he meant it as a compliment. And, you know, another lady was sort of coming and going and she'd seen me when I'd first arrived and then she turned up again and this was a friend of mine and she just sort of came up to me and like went wow you're so relaxed you're so different you've changed so much my goodness look at this and I was sort of like you know, I didn't know how to respond to these things. I didn't know how to respond at all. But I did think, well, something's working. Something's having an effect. And probably one of the most shocking things someone said to me was, they came up to me and said, man, you look 10 years younger since you've started doing this Mr. Crows. <laughs> So, I don't know what that would have made me, I guess, 18 or 19, because I was 
29 or something like that when I was on this journey, on this trip. So, yeah, and I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't just that, you know, people were saying these things to me. It was also that I was starting to see it in other people, right? I'd been there a couple of months by now. So that's long enough for people to turn up for a two-week holiday, go through a bunch of processes, and then leave. And I'm able to sort of see them and sometimes talk to them and in some cases make friends with them. In some cases, I'm in the group with them. And and I see the effect that it has on them. And it's just, it's just downright indescribable. There's no words for it, for the positive results that come from these processes. And perhaps I'm getting ahead of the story, perhaps I'm leaping too far forward, but there will be more to say about this later on. So, yeah, that was starting to happen. And then We came to crying week, and I remember the first day I walked into Chuantazu, and the whole place had changed. All the previous week I'd been used to bright colors and bright lights and dance music and sort of this big sort of celebration begin to the day, right? But it the start of crying week, I walked in and it was cold. The lights were dimmed. There was sad music playing, soft music playing. And just sort of a quietness around the air. And I walked in and I thought, my goodness, am I really doing this? Am I actually going to do this? How is this possible? I still can't believe this is happening. And... And we kicked off in that first session. And it was like, okay, cry. Cry. Just cry. And I realized that this this imperative of telling myself to cry was strong. Because I'd been saying all week, laugh. Just laugh. Force yourself to laugh. So changing it from just laugh to cry was an easy switch in some ways. But... I had to really think, I had to really dig, I had to really tell myself again and again, what makes you cry? What makes you cry? Well, of course, it must be pain. It must be hurt and upset. And so I tried to think about the times in my life when I was betrayed by someone or rejected by someone, or let down by someone, or hurt by someone. And I thought, and I thought, what makes you cry? What makes you cry? But I didn't cry. And I thought, well, if it's not personal, maybe I can cry over someone else's pain. Can you cry for someone else? And they're suffering. And I thought about some of the poverty 
and the harsh living conditions that I had seen in New Delhi. I thought about that man that had asked me for some money in the middle of the city, and he was covered in dust, just wearing rags. I thought about the mothers that had children, and no real way to support them, and the struggle that they must have gone through. And I thought, yeah, well, you know, all that is heartbreaking, but it doesn't make me cry. I just can't cry. And I just thought, what makes you cry? Think, there must be something that makes you cry. There must be something that can make you cry. What makes you cry? Think about it. Really think about it. What makes you cry? What makes you cry? Like, what's the, what's the worst thing? What is the most terrible thing? What is the most heartbreaking thing? What is the darkest thing you can think of? There must be anything, anything that you can find that can make you cry. And I'm saying this and saying this again and again to myself. And I'm just thinking, how can I cry? Just give me any reason to cry. And I thought for a second, well, when are the times in my life when I've cried? And then it occurred to me that it's not pain that makes me cry. It's beauty. It's beauty that brings tears to my face. And when I had that realization, (laughs) tears just poured down my face. They just poured out my cheeks. And I realized that there is just so much beauty in this world. There's just so much to celebrate. And I was able to transport myself again into those moments of my life when I'd experienced beauty so tremendous that it had brought me to tears. And I thought of the music that I'd experienced. I thought of the nature that I'd seen. I thought of the people that I'd known, those beautiful souls that I'd known. I thought of this wonderful place that I was in, this glorious Chuantasu Auditorium. I thought of Osho and all the incredible things that he's opened me up to. And I cried, I cried, and I cried, and I cried. (laughs) And just like it was in the first session of laughing, laughing week, laughing day, I sort of heard the facilitator bringing the session to the end, and I thought, hang on. We're only 20 minutes in. (laughs) And I realized that, well, three hours had already passed. And I stood up from where I'd been lying on my pillow and I just, and I, and I looked around and I was shocked at how many tissues there were. There were stains, tear stains on both sides of the pillows. Tissues just all over the place, like an absolute mess, right? And I just thought, my goodness, I've just been crying like I'm 
I'm so sort of just in shock, right? Like I didn't even know I didn't know who I was or what I was in that moment. So yeah, I mean It's really something to have an opening like that. It's really, it it was really heavy to have that realization and to have that breaking. And the next day was similar. The next day had a lot of those sorts of openings and that more pushing, that more grind of going deeper. And by the third day... I had really started to enter deeply and it was on the third day, around about the third day, that things were starting to get really just just out of this world because I'd had the mind telling me to cry again and again and my memories and my feelings had all been sort of through these journeys and just having like stories within stories and like just overwhelming bodily sensations and it brought me to a space which was both at once completely new and also recognized by me and by my experiences that I'd had before and I recognized the space as the same sort of space that you get when you're tripping on LSD and I realized that this was the trip this was an LSD trip but without the LSD there were there were all the same sort of characteristics and phenomenons occurring, timelessness, spatial delusion, not not delusion, dissolving, spatial dissolving, right? So, so to, to give you an example, it would be like looking across the room and, and seeing someone in a room that you've been for the last 10 days, right? So, you know the room, but you look back at them and you see that they are actually miles away there's there's this huge distance between us so that was when i realized i was actually tripping on lsd and the good thing about it was that there's something that comes with taking a drug that wasn't present there's something there's something dirty about a chemical. There's something that comes along with taking drugs that is just maybe it's the to- toxicity, maybe it's the maybe it's the metal compounds, whatever it is, I don't know the science behind it, but there's just there's just this sort of background feeling that there's something dirty about drugs. But this This crying week was like drugs, the same as drugs, except without that dirt, without that sort of 
dinginess. So, yeah, I mean, my whole face was opening up. My body was shimmering. And as the week progressed and as we went into (laughs) day four and day five and day six, I would start to sort of open to others, right? Like I'd gone into crying week, like just just stay away from me. I don't want to be near anyone. Like I'd always go to my corner, never look at anyone, never never want anyone to come near me. I just want to be alone and be in my my misery, be in my crying. But as the week unfolded, I would start to look around and see you know, what's happening in the rest of the room. And as that happened, I would witness things that were just heartbreaking, right? The moment when someone would realize that they're not alone. The moment when someone would realize that their pain is actually real because there's someone there to validate it for them. And some people in that room went through things that I just cannot, cannot fathom. And you realize there's nothing fake about it, right? This is not fake crying. This is real pain. This is real suffering. And even something as simple as a gesture like holding out your hand and having someone take it and actually hold your hand became tremendously significant. And it was in those last couple of days I actually learned that I actually realized the true meaning of courage. Courage is when you show yourself in all your vulnerability. And courage is accepting another person's vulnerability, even though it might hurt to accept it, even though it means you have to share in that pain to understand it. Courage is when a man can hold hands with another man and just cry, and just cry. Courage is the ability to actually physically bow down to someone else, to actually bow your head at their feet and worship them. Not for any reason, not for any merit, not for any purpose, just because that's somehow what the situation is called for. And the greatest courage, the most incredible courage, is understanding that letting pain in is letting pain go. 
and I could sense that we were all we were all starting to come together. By the time we got to the last day, the last day of crying week, I remember lying there and hearing a song come on. And the song was about the people that had made it home, the people that had come home. And I felt a hand touch my elbow. And I looked up, and it was the facilitator. And I sat up and turned to face her. And she looked at me. And I saw that she had something. She had something behind her scarf, and I looked at her scarf, and she moved it aside to reveal what she was holding. And in her hand, she held a single thornless rose. And I looked into her eyes, and what I saw when I looked into her eyes was this great burst of nebula stardust exploding across the galaxy. And eons of stars collided and crashed into each other. And I reached out and took that rose. And she smiled at me with tears pouring down her face. And I smiled at her with tears pouring down my face. And we hugged and shared a moment together while the song kept playing, the song about home. And of course, I was then able to (laughs) go on and have a moment with each of the people in that group. And we all had each in our hand a rose, which we could hold and share 
as we looked into each other's eyes and cried and smiled and hugged and just had a moment. <laughs> At the beginning of laughing week, we'd all started together. At the beginning of crying week, we'd all began in our own separate places. And by the end, we'd all come together again as this big family of people who had made it home. And I realised that, well, the Mystic Rose was this, this real tangible thing, right? This wasn't just any rose. This was a Mystic Rose. The mystical, the thing that I'd been searching for, this big, sort of far-off, hard-to-understand thing had manifested itself in this real, tangible bright as day, undeniable object. And I had received that gift in that tiny, tiny gesture, which just, it just meant the absolute universe to me. <laughs> now... You might find it hard to fathom, might be really too much for me to say this, but as amazing as Mystic Rose was, I'm really only telling you half the story. I've only told you half of what was really going on during Mystic Rose. And I'd like now to share a little bit about the other side of the story. And of course, you can't separate these two stories. They're actually intertwined. They're really the same story, and it's really all just Mystic Rose. So, I by no means separate these two things that were going on. But the other side of the story is that a few days after I started Mystic Rose, I met a girl. And I'd sort of been starting to open to intimate relationships. Like there'd been a few people that I was sort of interested in, but nothing really happened. And a few people who were maybe sort of interested in me. And there was this one girl that I started to fall in love with, but then she left. And it didn't really work out. But I met this girl, and she was, I should say, I met this woman, and she was Chinese as her cultural background, but she spoke perfect American English because she'd been studying in America. And we met in the Tukuzi at the Basho Pool, right? It's this outdoor jacuzzi. And one afternoon, we'd sort of just been sitting there and a storm had come over. 
And the monsoon season was coming. But at this stage, it was just sort of afternoon thunderstorms, which is actually uncharacteristic, so I'm told. And we sort of just were there and somehow just started talking. And from the very moment we started talking, there was this exact line between us, this exact balance. Just like we were just perfectly poised to be ready for each other. And there was no, there was no chasing, there was no sort of push and pull, there were no games, there was no flirting, there was nothing like that. It was just real human connection, just one person encountering another. And we ran into each other again a couple of times over the next couple of days. And quite quickly, we became quite close and we were having longer and longer conversations. And we ended up going out to Osho Park and it was out there that I first kissed her and I realized, well, you know, we're not going to be friends. We're not going to be just little chatting buddies because it was apparent to both of us that there was something really quite deep going on. And and she was, man, she was so hot, like just incredibly gorgeous. Like I'm talking 10 out of 10 supermodel body, right? Now, <laughs> you might say, well, you know, she's Chinese. You know, those Asian women, they sort of... Generally speaking, Asian women have gorgeous bodies, right? The slim build, right? I mean, I'm a slim build myself, quite athletic, quite fit. So I guess that's just my type. That's just what I like. But she was something else and young, very young in terms of her years and her sort of age in the conventional sense, but old in her soul, in her mind, in her wisdom, in her intelligence. She was frightfully intelligent and really sharp with her mind, just so sharp. And in some ways, she never was a little girl. She never, I think, like I, I couldn't see the young girl in her. She was so much woman and so much mature and so much intelligent that I just couldn't see it. And maybe that's just my lack of ability to see. <laughs> maybe it's because she didn't have much of a childhood and she she's always had to be sort of like that because of her upbringing. I don't know. But we became intimate quite intensely and... We started to connect on every level, right? It was the intimate level, the physical energy level, the energy level, the emotional level, and probably most importantly was the mind level, right? We could talk 
We could talk in a way that was just absolutely sharp. And I was like, okay, I've got to be on my A game. I'm with this top, top being. I have to bring my best to the table. I have to be really on board with sharing my being. And I was right in the middle of Mystic Rose, right? So all of these emotions and all of these insights were feeding into the relationship. And (laughs) of course, after a couple of days, things got really intense because it was by that time that I was starting to trip on LSD, but without the LSD, right? So I was on this trip with this woman and it was like every moment, every moment we were together was a sharpening of presence. It was a deeper immediacy. And everything that was said was just like getting further into the layers of truth, like just saying what is true. And I could tell her the things that I saw in her, right? I could see these flaws in her. I could see things that were wrong in her. I could see things that were unaware to her, and I was able to point it out. And it wasn't in a judging sort of way. It wasn't a like, oh, you need to fix this. It was an actual like, we're working here together on this. And she could do the same for me. She could say things about me that were like deep character flaws. And I would be, okay, let's work with this. I need to step up to this. And to have that effect, to have someone where the words, like I could literally sometimes see my words like come out of my mouth and then just land right on her, like right in her heart. And her face would just light up. The twinkle in her eyes would be there and it would just resonate. Like to have that effect, to have that power over someone is just so intimate. And not only that, but it was actually the other way around as well. She could say something to me and with just a few words, I could feel this this shock through my whole body. And of course, some of the time, (laughs) some of the time I would have to whisper to her because I'd lost my voice from Mystic Rose. So that was another sort of thing that just added to the depth, right? Talking in whispers. And then other times I would be sharing my ecstasy with her and I would be saying like, you know, I'd be describing this trip that I was on, right? And it would be like, She could sense it and she could have it. She could see it in me and it was this real deep connection that she was sharing what I was sharing. And we did end up... (laughs) We did end up going out a few times. So we would leave the resort and we went to a cocktail bar one time and we we went to get pizza another time. I'll never forget that. Never forget what happened during during that time as well and we went to get milkshakes and we went to we also had this adventure because one night she'd been out and she lost her phone so we sort of had this adventure going around India 
<laughs> looking for her phone, right? Long shot getting it back, but by some sort of miracle, she did get it back. And, uh, <laughs> and, and this whole time, right? It's like we've both got nothing to lose and we both have to give everything to it. And I remember after like just four or five days of being with this incredible woman and being right at the peak of Mystic Rose, like this, this is like, <laughs> this is like peak performance of the peak performance at the absolute heart of the adventure, right? And I knew it. I was there to live it. Like I was actually present for it. And I remember just one night, you know, going back to her, back to her room and we stopped under the bamboo one time just to just to stand together and to look into each other's eyes. And I remember just whispering for a moment that I'm feeling something that I haven't felt for years and it feels right to say what I'm about to say. And I said, I love you. I love you. And I'm not saying I'm going to love you forever. And I'm not saying you have to love me back. In fact, it's got, in many ways, nothing to do with you. I'm just telling you how I feel. And when I said that to her, she just had something else happen to her. And I realized that this this experience of love was something I hadn't had in over, over 15 years. Something like that. Over half my lifetime it's been since I've had this experience. And with this woman, with this incredible being, it's bursting forth in me. It's coming out. And as the next few days unfolded, we just, we just went deeper and deeper and deeper again and again and again. And it came to the point where we were just, just connected on every level. And we could share any sort of story. We could say any old thing and it would just be, just be doused in significance, doused in meaning. And, you know, there was so much that she didn't get to know about me <laughs> in some ways because there's so so much that I didn't get to share. But really that was part of the thing. It's like how how do you get someone to know you so quickly? And the sort of crux of the story is that, well, she was only there for two weeks. So we were only together for about a week. And we both knew that, well, 
pretty soon she'd be leaving and it would be over, right? And maybe maybe that's why it was so intense, right? Maybe that's why it was such a, a high-stakes relationship. We were under no illusions, though, about, well, once it's over, it's over. But by the end of her stay, I was with her. I was with her and present for her every second of the day, every waking moment. And I remember being being in her room as she's packing her bag. And we're talking about just some things that we've seen. And she said, well, why did you come here? And I said, I came here to experience more of the joy and ecstasy that I'd already been feeling, that I'd already been experiencing. And she said, well, that's quite remarkable. Most people come here because they're somehow broken. They need fixing. They need therapy. They need something to do them up. And I said, well, you know, it's partly that as well. There is an element of that. Is that why you came here? And I think she just came here because, you know, her mum encouraged her. Her mum is an older sannyasin. I don't know if she was really getting it. Like, like when it came to, when it came to like a real showdown between minds, my mind was more sharp than hers. Like, she couldn't beat me on the level of the mind. But when it came to, like, the being, like, if we connected on the level of the being, I was an absolute, I was an absolute servant to her. She was the, she was the master on that level. And, you know, she kept packing her bag and I carried her cases for her down the stairs and I said, well, I feel vulnerable. I feel like it's over. And then she said, well, you know, this is the end. What else can we do? And I don't know how much I really want to recount of the exact things that were said, but her taxi was there. I put her bag in the back and I looked her in the eyes and I said, thank you. Thank you for everything. I gave her a kiss. I gave her a hug. And she got in the taxi, wound down her window, and the taxi left. And she was looking out the window, looking back at me, and I was walking slowly after her as the taxi slowly got deeper and deeper into traffic. And someone someone stopped her and, you know, one of her friends stopped her and said oh you're leaving goodbye and then they left and then the taxi kept going and I kept walking after her and she kept looking out the window looking at looking back at me until the taxi was out of sight and I never saw her again I never saw her again And this was right, right towards the end of crying week that this happened, that she left. And 
I found out later that it's like, it's actually a common occurrence for someone to fall in love <laughs> in the middle of Mystic Rose, right? This is not, this is not unheard of. <laughs> so, the Mystic Rose was, <laughs> in every way, so far beyond just this therapy session, right? It was this just cataclysmic all levels all experiences just uh, you know what i i give up trying to <laughs> i give up trying to put words to it there's there's no way to put words to it it's just like my god but that girl that woman that woman i love that woman more than anything more than anything i would have given up anything for her i would have done i would have gone around the world to see her again to be with her and <laughs> i mean i loved her more than anything up until then at least so <laughs> there is more to the story of course but you know, I didn't hear from her again, which which really broke me up. And maybe I'll say more about that later on. But, you know, I, I could only have had that experience in that situation, in that environment. So, yeah, I mean, that that experience of love made something like going to the other side of the world for a girl, for a woman seem like easy right it's it's a no-brainer you know like you get this thing of oh would you really go to the other side of the world just to meet a girl like she's just a girl right it's just a relationship there's plenty of fish in the sea you really want to quit your job or stop what you're working on or stop what you're doing just for that and it's like no when you know love it was just like no-brainer, no-brainer. Love just conquers all of that. It was just out of this world. So, yeah, it's like, well, it's not like anything. <laughs> I guess it's like tripping balls on LSD. <laughs> <laughs> Every moment of it, but without the LSD. <laughs> I guess, yeah, that was, that was so, so indescribable. And, you know, I can remember every conversation that I had with that woman. I can remember almost word for word. And I did write so much of it down in my journal, right? We had all these conversations about significance complex and, you know, white man guilt and begging culture and India and family problems and therapy and what it means to speak truth and all these sorts of things and all these sorts of stories. And 
I can remember all those, right? (laughs) I can remember it so clearly because I was present, because I was just in this peak. It's just like, it's just burnt into my memory, like this, this really ultra high definition memory. So, yeah, and I also remember we, one day we went out, <laughs> I wore my maroon robe, which you're not actually supposed to do. I didn't really know that at the time, but you're supposed to wear maroon in the resort. But I guess I got away with it because I was an ignorant tourist. And I was wearing my maroon robe and she was wearing like white sports gear. And it was like strawberries and cream, you know? These two these two people, this this man and this woman who were I'm sure I'm sure to anyone that saw us knew instantly that we were just like head over heels connected in some sort of way. And like imagine those two in a took going down a dirt road in India with like, you know, there are cows and there's trash burning and there's beggars and there's just, you know, trucks and just mess and pothole like, you know, in the in the chaos of India. It's just this 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 shining, glimmering sort of dare I say, prince and princess or prince and queen is really more <laughs> more fitting. It was like yeah. I mean I was I was grounded, right? It wasn't it wasn't just like I was sucking up to her. Like I wasn't afraid to put things back to her, you know. She had some things she had to learn. She had some ignorances. And I mean, what happened to her? Where is she? Well, she went back to China to an internship an office job, a brutal sort of office job or law, whatever it was that she was studying, whatever it was she was working on. And she had a boyfriend back there. So I knew about that. You know, she told me about that. So, yeah. I mean, I really wished we could have kept in touch. It didn't have to be much. It wouldn't have to be much. You know, I'm not under no illusions of you know, anything happening beyond what happened. What happens in Pune stays in Pune. <laughs> I guess I guess you could say I'm breaking that rule now, right, by telling you. But, yeah. I mean, I could, I could write a book about her. And, in fact, I might still write a book about that woman. But she really was, up until then, the most extraordinary thing that ever happened to me. And I remember so many details. I remember so much of it. So, yeah, the mystic rose. It'll get you. It'll it'll do something. And the week after crying week was silence week. And I'm not going to say anything about that, except that it was three hours a day in Chuanta Zoo of sitting silently. And that's all I have to say about that. So that probably does it enough for this chapter. So thanks very much for tuning in. It's been an absolute joy to share this story with you. And tune in next week 
Tune into the next chapter. We will continue the series. We'll continue the story. There's still, there's still. <laughs> Believe it or not, we ain't done yet. We ain't done. We're not even halfway. We're not even halfway. So buckle up, strap yourself in for the next episode. So have a good week. Thank you very much. Tune in next time. (laughs) Oh man, oh man. That's all I have to say (laughs) for now.